The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I'm honored to welcome my guest, Ms. Jess Kennard. She is a licensed speech language pathologist who was launched into grassroots advocacy following the Norfolk Southern train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, and the toxic chemical spill that poisoned her community and surrounding areas. Since this event, Ms. Kennard has joined Beyond Plastics as their Appalachia director and has been featured on multiple national news programs to share her community's story and champion endorsements for medical safety and air quality monitoring. She works to enact national policy change for rail safety amplify initiatives for ecological security, and put an end to plastic pollution. Welcome, Jess. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, you have been through so much in the past year when your community experienced the tragic Norfolk Southern train derailment. And ever since, residents in East Palestine and surrounding communities have had their lives upended and forever changed. And I wonder if we could just start out Why don't you tell me what you experienced firsthand? Thank you again for having me. This has been quite the year. In January of 2023, I was a speech-language pathologist dedicated to my profession. And on Friday, February 3rd, a Norfolk Southern train carrying hundreds of thousands of gallons of toxic chemicals, including vinyl chloride, derailed about two miles from my home. So that night, we went from this beautiful, small, quiet, rural community to what felt like a war zone. Mm. An evacuation was mandated. Is that correct? Yeah. Emergency calls actually began coming in about an hour before it went through my town with its wheels on fire. Despite ample time that we could have been given a warning, we didn't have one, that there was a bomb train on fire heading our way. Once the train derailed and the fire became so massive, I think it was like a half a mile long. Nearly half of my town was forced to evacuate due to this enormous fire. And how long were you expected to be away from your homes? I was just over two miles from the derailment. So my family was advised to shelter in place. And so this means to close the doors, close the windows. The folks that were within one mile didn't know how long they were going to be evacuated for. So they were woken up in the middle of the night, had to collect their things and leave with no plan and no preparation. The evacuation continued until... I believe the day after the purposeful vent and burn of the vinyl chloride. So on Monday morning, February 6th, we were told that an explosion of a car containing vinyl chloride was imminent. 
The plan, as I understood, was to prevent a spontaneous explosion of the car by performing a vent and burn. At the time, this was supposed to be one rail car, but for some reason, and we still don't know why, five train cars of vinyl chloride were drained into a ditch and purposefully put on fire. This decision, we later found out, might not have even been necessary. But it was the day after this vent and burn that the evacuation was lifted. So polyvinyl chloride is what is most likely to be produced from vinyl chloride. And it is found in many products on our shelves. But in 1974, vinyl chloride was officially classified as a human carcinogen. And it was banned in hairsprays, refrigerants, cosmetics, and drugs. But it is especially and widely used to make PVC water lines. It's used to make siding panels for houses, product packaging, vinyl records, bathtub toys. So we live with this compound. And I should just let everyone know that when vinyl chloride burns, it creates dioxins, which I think most of us are familiar with as being powerful endocrine disruptors, carcinogens not something we want communities to be exposed to. And, you know, PVC has been banned in most food packaging in places like Canada and South Korea. We've known about the toxicity of vinyl chloride and PVC for a really long time. And there are communities in the South that have been decimated by vinyl chloride, where a lot of the major PVC producers live. And so when you have a major vinyl chloride producing corporation in a stationary location, it's basically like having an East Palestine every day. And so these communities that have suffered for decades and continue to suffer from PVC and the production of vinyl chloride it's important that this continue to come to light. And as we learn more about the situation in East Palestine, about toxic chemicals and rail safety, one of the things that we know is that this is not a singular event, as some folks might have you believe. If you live along a rail line, you are at risk from the same fate. Just in Ohio, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia, there are over 14 million people that live within one mile of a rail line. And this puts all of those people at risk when you put hundreds of thousands of gallons of toxic chemicals on a rickety rail line and you run it through town after town after town. Vinyl chloride is transported by rail all over the country. And it's that same chemical that has contaminated and destroyed not just East Palestine, but several other communities. So Jess, I'm concerned about food and water, of course. And if there are regional farmers who have been impacted, is it safe to grow food in the region? Is it safe to drink the water? How do we know? How do we know? That's a great question. As far as I know, it's been said that it is safe to grow food here. But I will also say that we've been told that the aquatic life is back to normal in our creeks, but you can still see and smell the chemicals. So it's really hard to know who to believe, who to trust. Mm. Prior to our interview, I interviewed a Purdue environmental engineer 
Andrew Welton has done some testings of soil. They've looked at bees, they've looked at water, and the contamination is widespread. Many people, including the researchers who came to town, have experienced side effects, burning of eyes, headaches, rashes, asthma. How are people being cared for who are forced to stay in that community? There are no options for direct medical assessment surrounding the vent and burn of 116,000 gallons of vinyl chloride. When we were first exposed, we were told that the smells would not cause us any harm. We were told that it was not toxic. We know now that that was not the truth. The decision to have folks stay sheltered in place that were outside of the measly one-mile evacuation zone is likely what caused us all, my friends, my neighbors, to be poisoned. And the CDC early on had a public meeting in East Palestine with residents, and they admitted that it was likely that we had all been exposed to not only vinyl chloride, but potentially to compounds that we weren't even aware of because there were multiple chemicals. And when you add heat, we could have been exposed to hundreds, if not thousands of chemicals. And the CDC specifically said, we can't do anything about your exposure, but we can certainly treat your cancers. Oh my. And this was very shocking to the community But it was almost a shred of dignity that someone recognized that we had been exposed and that we are going to get very sick from this. The problems that ensued were that nothing was done. We have no opportunity to test our bodies for these chemicals. There have been no opportunities for early cancer screenings. We have no resources. We have no opportunities to report our symptoms. And unfortunately, the medical care that we have in the community is not conducive to the assessment of chemical exposure. Right. Trying to put myself in your shoes. My immediate reaction would be, I've got to get out of here. But then, of course, the reality sets in about financial resources and the fact that East Palestine has been your home for generations and you love it. You recently bought a dream home there. It's not fathomable. It's not affordable for people to pick up and leave. And yet, surely there are resources available. I did some research just to see how much the CEO of Norfolk Southern earned. Alan Shaw received $9.8 million in total compensation in 2022 you would think that there would be money there to buy people's homes and help them relocate a safe distance away. Norfolk Southern has a lot of money, and they have used that money to purchase the hearts and minds of my community. And that goes from plastering their logo on what feels like every event to donating money to youth sports, new fire equipment, $50,000 in gift cards for teacher appreciation. The important thing here is that we still have nothing for indoor air testing. We have nothing for medical resources. And so when I wake up 
and have this perpetual question of, is it safe here? And the answer is, but we're buying you a new park. It's mind boggling to me that we have all of this money and we have the tests. The tests exist to assess for these chemicals, and yet we can't get our hands on them. And so one of the things that I've been advocating for with some community groups is under the Affordable Care Act, Social Security Act 1881A, which was put in place for a town called Libby, Montana, after one of the worst asbestos exposures in history. In short, this was a nearby vermiculite mine, and the vermiculite was laced in asbestos. These people were told that their homes were safe with this product inside, and the company who owned the mine actually knew about the asbestos and ignored it. And this was despite many of their workers getting sick. So this is a really familiar feeling, right? We were told that we should stay inside. We were told that the air was not toxic. We were told that there is no more contamination. So long story short, in Libby, this asbestos blew over the community and killed hundreds of residents. And those that survived became really ill with asbestos-related medical conditions. And so under the Affordable Care Act, their senator at that time implemented something that allowed Libby to gain access to Medicare no matter their age even if they didn't have symptoms, but if they just felt like they were exposed to the asbestos. So the reason that I say this is because in order for Libby to gain access to this, there had to be a public health emergency. And so this is what I've focused my advocacy on, and a lot of folks in the community have done the same, is we need medical resources. And if it takes an emergency declaration for us to get those medical resources to make sure that we don't go bankrupt, then that's what we need to do. We need an emergency declaration desperately, not just for the immediate healthcare needs, but specifically for the long-term ones where the CDC, again, has already told us that they could so graciously treat our cancers. We have had both of our Ohio senators urge President Biden to declare a public health emergency and specifically citing the Social Security Act 1881A. And we're still waiting at this point for an emergency declaration. Hopefully we can get that rolling soon. Mm -hmm. Jess, let me take one break and remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are speaking with Ms. Jess Kennard. She's the Appalachia Director for Beyond Plastics, and she is a resident of East Palestine, Ohio, which experienced one year ago the tragic Norfolk Southern train derailment, which spewed toxic chemicals into her community, her water and soil. Okay, I want to get back to the water because it is our most important nutrient. So right after the spill, there were images shown in the press of bottled water being brought in. Are most community members using bottled water out of precaution? I would say there are hundreds of people that are using bottled water, specifically those with private wells. We were drinking our well water prior to the derailment, and we do not anymore. We also do not give it to our dog, and we do not cook with it. So basically anything that we would ingest, we use 
bottled water for, which is really such a catch-22, right? Because the bottles that we're using, they're single-use plastics. And so it's this vicious cycle that, you know, it's what's to our detriment and it's also sort of what's saving us. And so we've switched to refillable like water tank is what we use now because we don't like single-use bottles. And I would encourage folks that don't use water from their spigot to access a water cooler and and the refillable bottles. That's better for the environment. But yeah, quite a few folks are still not drinking their water. Right. To err on the side of caution, I agree that not drinking the water is a good idea. But it sounds like the tests are inadequate to assure a safe water supply. We don't even really know what chemicals to test for. And when we do, we're not conducting the tests for those chemicals. Is that right? That's how I understand it, that the instruments that are used are not going to the level of regulatory compliance. Now, whether or not they have to go to that level in order to say that it is safe for drinking, that's out of my league. I think another thing that should be brought to the table is that Norfolk Southern has established a temporary wastewater treatment facility in East Palestine. And this is to deal with vinyl chloride in the stormwater and the wash water from the contaminated site. This was a proposal by the superintendent from East Palestine to put this wastewater back into the municipal wastewater This is come with significant community opposition, and this is because the treatment process is being conducted by a train company with EPA oversight, but would you trust a rail company's water treatment facility that they would be able to manage a hazardous material and turn it into a non-hazardous material? It's been really unfortunate that we are accepting wastewater into our municipal system that doesn't necessarily go back into our drinking water, but it goes back into our creeks and it ends up in the Ohio River, which services millions of people for their drinking water. I wonder too about who really at the end of the day should be paying for the exorbitant medical costs that everyone in this area is going to have to face. We can ask for Medicare to cover everyone, or more fairly, we should make sure that Norfolk Southern bears the cost because ultimately they are responsible for bringing this toxin through your community. And I can't help but wonder how much their involvement was used in making the decision to burn the cars. We have to ask, who is the responsible party here? You know, I hear this a lot. The government shouldn't pay for my health care just because a train wrecked in my community. I hear that. These are our tax dollars, and we send millions and billions of our tax dollars overseas, which I don't argue with. I think that it's important to continue to support other countries 
in places where it is appropriate to support them. I think that we need to continue to throw life rafts at those that are struggling. But if we are going to support wars in other countries and we are going to support other efforts to remediate places around the world, then why would we not also set aside money for our own citizens who have been heinously abused by a train company who cannot provide the services that we desperately need? What a better way to show solidarity in your own country than to provide medical resources for people that have experienced a tragedy. At the very least, the government should step in and act as an insurance agent. And what I mean by that is when you are in a car accident and you are an insured driver, if you have car repairs or medical bills, do you then go to your liable party and say, hey, I need you to pay my medical bills. No, that's not how it works because that creates not only more trauma for you, but they're probably not going to pay your medical bills, at least not in the way that you want them to. So at the very least, we need the emergency management agencies that exist, the laws that exist like Social Security Act 1881A. We need to use those to our advantage because... That way we can survive. We are literally talking about an entire town that was poisoned. And we're worried about paying the price with our tax dollars. What a better way to use them to the health of the Americans that pay into them. I totally understand. We also think that there are government agencies, our government agencies, such as the EPA, looking out for us. And it's so troubling when these agencies that are intended to support us and protect us fall short. I mean, how long have we known that vinyl chloride is a human carcinogen and why are we still producing it and shipping it across the country like this when we know there are alternatives? Jess, I'm worried about the most vulnerable people in East Palestine, and these would be children, pregnant women and some kind of follow-up to their health care, protecting them from water or soil that could be toxic. And in one of my interviews, I learned that the creeks that are running through East Palestine are contaminated, but there is no barrier protecting people from wading in those creeks or playing in that water. What's going on to protect individuals there? You're right about our infrastructure and the way that our town was built We are on top of two different streams of water, and not only businesses, but homes are built on top of or very, very close to or along these creeks. These are still very highly contaminated. There is still ongoing testing of the water and the sediments, and people are still living here. You also have to understand that this is an old community. And so a lot of the homes that are along these creeks have sandstone basements. So if the creeks flood, when it rains, water gets into these basements. And so when you have chemicals that you're not sure even what the chemicals are in your basement, there's been a lot of talk about vapor intrusion as well, which 
has actually been identified in our municipal building when this first started. Anytime you have a chemical that moves, which would include vinyl chloride and some of the other chemicals on the ground, it moves underground and it's going to try to exit through places like a basement or pipes. And so that causes the basements to then become contaminated. And where does it go from the basement? It goes up into your home. So there's a huge problem with ongoing contamination. So it wasn't just February 6th that we had exposure. We've had exposure every day since, especially if you live near the water. In the beginning, they had these big sprayers that they would put in the creeks. And the idea was they would spray it into the air and then the sun would kill it. Well, there's not really much sun in Ohio in February. So they were spewing this chemical all over areas like the park, heavy residential areas. And it's astounding to me, as you said, that these emergency agencies that are put in place to protect us, they don't seem to have very much common sense sometimes. It would have been nice to have an opportunity to know and understand this process in a way that would encourage us to protect ourselves. So like, hey, we're going to spew this chemical into the park. You probably shouldn't go there. But that's not what it was like. It was, hey, we're doing this to clean your creeks. The park is fine. And so there's so much misinformation. There's so much gaslighting. I can see and smell the chemical. And then I get a report back there's no chemicals. It's caused a lot of division in the community because I want to trust these agencies. I think a lot of people need someone to trust in. And then you have this co-op happening with the train company and people really snuggling up to this money that's coming into our town. And then other folks that are really struggling and need the medical testing or need to relocate because their home is contaminated. And that's just not an option for everyone. Jess, I want to talk about a new development, and that is that the US EPA is taking the first step in potentially banning vinyl chloride. Do you want to talk about that at all? I would love to. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency announced in December that it would be initiating this federal chemical review process. And right now, we are still within a very critical 90-day comment period. And so it's going to be really important to send your comments to the EPA explaining to them why this is so important that the EPA continue to assess this chemical. So anybody that is listening, make a comment to the EPA to urge the EPA to continue to assess this very toxic chemical. And we can provide a link to make it easy for people to provide a comment. There are a ton of resources on beyondplastics.org. Jess, we're going to have to close, but I want to thank our listeners for joining us. Remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn for KOPN in Columbia, Missouri. Most of all, I want to thank my guest, Ms. Jess Kennard. She's a licensed medical speech pathologist. 
but she was launched into high-profile advocacy following the train derailment and toxic vinyl chloride spill in her hometown of East Palestine, Ohio. She joined Beyond Plastics in August of 2023 as the first Appalachia director, where she speaks on both national and global platforms, advocating for safer solutions to plastic pollution. Thank you so much for your time and all your effort. And I wish you and all of the residents of East Palestine and surrounding communities all my best. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.